The entire movie looked like Dean Cundy came on it. Radio Drome. Welcome to another episode of Radio Drome. I am Josh Hadley. With me, as always, is the Peter. Yes. And showing up late, but he's here, the Cecil. I, you know, what? I got nothing. No, you don't. And that's why you, <laughs> of all people, because Peter can't, you should go to adamandeve.com. Use the promo code DROME, D-R-O-M-E, and you will get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, a free mystery gift, and free U.S. shipping. All you would have to do is use the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. So last week we looked at 1992 in mainstream films. This week, especially now that Peter's here, we're going to look at 1992 in genre films. And we had some uh, some interesting ones this year. Uh, this is not a terrible year. There's some films no, I really good, hate, actually. but yeah, there, there's some really good films this year. What 1992 genre film jumps out at you? Army of Darkness. I, I it was either going to be that or the, or one other one that I'm kind of surprised you didn't. There, pick, this but. year had some of my favorite genre films for sure. We had Peter Jackson's Dead Alive. We had Candyman. We had Pet we'll Cemetery. We'll get to 2. those. We'll get to those. Well, yes, I'm just saying I'm listing off a lot of the good ones. We had Dust Devil, but the ones that stands out, the one that stands out for me, one that I've been watching since I was a kid and still frequently revisit is Sam Raimi's Army of Darkness, aka the Third Evil Dead, features one of Bruce Campbell's most like charismatic performances it's really fun it's got some great stop motiony skeleton effects army of darkness is great and it's it's usually the one i think of when i think to uh genre films that came out that year see i like army of darkness but i think it's the weakest of the three evil dead movies evil dead 2 is my favorite and then evil dead i think this one it it tried to it tried to change the formula too much, which in theory is not a yeah, bad thing. I don't it's think... It's kind of the, it's the action movie of the series, for sure. Well, I, I just, I, I think a lot of this one, you know, this one tried to be very humorous. A lot of the humor this time just didn't land for me. Oh, boo. Boo, it's hilarious. Yes. Bruce Campbell is probably at his peak charismatic. Just the, the bit where he's fighting the, like, the little versions of himself and they're calling him a dumbass and poking him with a pitchfork. The London Bridge is falling down. <laughs> he steps on the, steps on the nail. Good. Bad. I'm the guy with the gun. Wondering what I was going to go with. Uh, I was thinking, should I go with something more mainstream like Batman Returns, which I do love. It's like one of my favorite Batman movies. Fantastic. But, um, yeah. Oh, dude, it's so good. Like, I like the first one a lot, but I think Returns is just so much better. Well, you got right? Danny DeVito as Penguin. You got Michelle Pfeiffer just amazing as Catwoman. Christopher it's Walken just, always charismatic. Better. Even Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton, I feel like, really even amped up his his performance. Like, he was slightly better in that one than he was in the first one. Yeah, he, like, settled into the role, and he was actually really sad when he turned down the third one, because mm -hmm. the third one was going in such a different direction without Burton, and he just didn't want to reprise his role. He was like, this 
this isn't really what I had originally signed up for. And, uh, mm. you know, what Val Kilmer and if that's a whole other story. But I am going to go with the amazing Rucker Hauer movie Split Second. Oh, hell yeah. I mean, come on. You've got Detective Dick Durkin trying uh joining with uh Rucker Hauer in a time when global warming has left London flooded and they're they're fighting what might be the devil. Oh dude, it's so good. The best thing about Split Second and I and I agree with you. I do really enjoy it. Production design. It looks so good, man. It does. Oh, it's just, it's gorgeous. And the thing is, it's not an expensive movie. It was a $7 million movie. And it looks light years better than movies that cost way more than that. They nailed the, the production design, the aesthetic of it. They stuck with it. Everything looks wet. Everything, like, everybody just looks tired. The entire movie looked like Dean Cundy came on it. Yeah. <laughs> but the design of uh of the demon was just incredible. Like oh, that's so cool. About it, yeah. it was it was so quotable. You had Pete uh Postlewaite just as like the uh the, the, the whipping boy for lack of a better description. Oh, it's just it's such a good movie. Well, I'm gonna go with a cheat. I'm gonna go with Richard Stanley's Dust Devil because it's no surprise how much of a Richard Stanley fan I am. But I figured I'm not, that was the one you were going to go with. But I'm not mm. going to go with the 1992 cut because that cut sucks. So the movie is amazing, but not the Weinstein version that was released in 1992. I think Dust Devil is one of the most poetic and beautiful horror films I've ever seen. I mean, on a visual level, this is one of the most beautifully shot movies I've ever seen. Oh, absolutely. Dust Devil is amazing. It's fantastic. And it's such a shame that the majority of people who saw it back in 1992 will never give it another chance because they just think that the movie sucks. Once again, not knowing the whole Harvey Weinstein of it, the whole thing of him just completely gutting the film, changing so much of it, really just uh, destroying it. And it's not well, he until dipped his, uh, he dipped his dirty fucking dick in so many projects. Yeah, he ruined. I mean, I've a lot of people are of unaware of how many movies he's actually ruined or helped to ruin. I've had a lot of times where I've did where I talked about uh, the, the the remake of Black Christmas, where I talked about a whole bunch of films, and a lot of people are like, you know, once I found out that Weinstein was such a scumbag, I started looking into it and I started finding out. So I think that now people are starting to get wise to it. Where if there was a movie from Miramax from that era that really sucked. There's a good chance that the original version was great. It's just that Weinstein decided to, uh, you know, throw his weight around and just alter it drastically. Dust Devil, it's, it's such a great film. Richard Stanley version, not the Miramax version. Well, but then you've also got things like Alien 3, which, oh, okay, I loved Alien. I loved Aliens even more. I'm a huge fan of the alien franchise my girlfriend makes fun of me about how i know the specs of the weapons and the ships and i've read all the comics the books the technical manuals the role-playing games i even read the novelization of alien 3 because that came out a week before the movie before the movie that movie fucking sucks that movie is horrendous. Alien 3 is one of the worst movies of the 1990s. You could not have f***ed a movie up more than you did with Alien 3. I do blame David Fincher, but I don't blame David Fincher. That's a whole different story. Alien 3 is one of the biggest middle fingers 
towards the fans of a franchise I've ever seen. It's one of the worst screenplays I think a major motion picture could have ever had for something released by a studio, and Alien 3 is one of the dumbest films of 1992 without without a doubt. Can't say I agree. I've I've always enjoyed Alien 3. Well, I mean, we've argued about it before. Uh, like, I just don't agree. I think it has a very good aesthetic. Uh, it's a very good looking film. It's, it, it captures the feel of the first alien. I feel like very well. It's a little more dark, a little more grim. Uh, everything's very dirty. Sigourney Weaver did an amazing job as she usually does. Yes, it took a darker approach. We, we killed off Nuke and, or Newt, Nuke, Nuke. Nuke. You've been watching a lot of Robocop 2? Yes, actually. <laughs> Wrong year for that, though. A lot of RoboCop, too. Um, Newt and uh, Michael Bean's character, uh, Space Kyle Reese. Uh, Hicks. Hicks, yes. I'll just go with Space Kyle Reese. That's pretty much what he is. Ends up getting, uh, they end up dying in space, and a little face hugger comes out. Uh, they, they die in the crash. They end up on the, some prison garbage planet, and it's very awful because uh, Ripley is now surrounded by uh, rapists and serial killers and uh, weird religious fanatics and stuff. And now we got an alien roaming around on that planet. I, I think um, thematically it's a very good idea, and I do think it's executed well. And for a, a directorial debut of a feature film, David Fincher did a really good job. I've always really very much enjoyed Alien 3. I completely understand why there's people who don't like it. I get that. I totally do. It does um, does go against a lot of what the first two movies established, and obviously it's grim that they ended up killing off uh, Newt and, and Hicks. And um, see, I, I, okay, I don't have a problem with the grim. It's one of the dumbest screenplays. The only reason this movie keeps moving along is every character makes the worst possible decision of all available options at any given moment. And then the screenplay constantly contradicts itself. And this isn't even about, like, deleted scenes. They literally, even in the director's cut, they have a scene like, we, we, we told you, nothing here works. We have tons of flashlights and no batteries. And then it cuts to the next scene, and they're all using working flashlights. And the screenplay was just like, yeah, you know what? Screw it. And the whole movie is like this. They set up sure, something, and then a that. minute later, they completely contradict it. The entire film. I, I mean, is it any... Is it a surprise to anyone that this that the shooting script of Alien 3 has seven f***ing writers on it? You will never get a coherent screenplay when you have seven people writing it. I, I don't know. I still find it enjoyable. I, I know that it's not perfect. I know it's got writing issues, but it's a hell of a lot better than Alien Resurrection. I think that the concept is really solid. The actors are great. Like, everybody involved wanted to make a good movie, and then the higher-ups just, I don't think they knew what they wanted to do. The producers were just making it really difficult, and some of the the higher ups beyond that uh, were at Fox were just I don't think they really entirely knew what they wanted to do, and were just thinking they could change things on the fly. I think what we ended up with is still entertaining. I think the producers' cut is a little closer to what it would have been, but that movie. There's so many different scripts out there. There's the William Gibson script. There's so many variations of what the film could have been. And it's no surprise that uh, it ended up kind of being all over the place. I like it a lot. I think that it's still good for what it is. But I think like we almost could have gotten greatness if they would have just left the director alone. The next one we'll talk about, this is the one I was sure was going to be Peter's pick. Universal, <laughs> Universal Soldier. I love Universal Soldier. Van Damme was like really hot in uh, being like a big action guy, so I just kind of considered that to be like sort of a big movie. I recently rewatched 
Universal Soldier a couple of months ago. It all holds up for me until the ending. The third act reeks of reshoots. Like, all of a sudden, they're building this plot line with Jerry Orbach, and then, oh yeah, he's a traitor, and it just, it, I mean, the whole third act, the last 20 minutes, all feel like reshoots. And I think that's when the movie fell apart. I was really into Universal Soldier until the third act. It screams of, we don't know what we're doing! That's entertaining. It's a very entertaining movie. Yeah, it's like, it, it, I think that maybe if there were reshoots, I don't know, I never really looked that far into it. it it's just they maybe, maybe it didn't have enough action in it at the end or something. But the whole movie, there's so much action and it's putting Dolph Lundgren and Van Damme, pitting them against each other. It was, they played off each other so well when Van Damme was just enormous. It's a great movie. It's a lot of fun. It's a great idea. It's, uh, it's good. I, I don't know. I think even if there were reshoots, I still enjoy the hell out of it for what it is. We're going to gloss over Fortress because we just talked about that earlier in the year in our prison episode. But then what about Fern Gully, The Last Rainforest? I personally kind of enjoy the movie. It's not subtle. It has a level of subtlety that Jordan Peele has in his movies, which is like a sledgehammer to the forehead with its message. (laughs) But I kind of enjoy Fern Gully for what it is. Maybe because I was still in high school and I went to see it because Christian Slater's in it and I always like Christian Slater, but I got, I'm not going to bitch about Fern Gully. Fern Gully's good. I, I watched that one a lot uh, on VHS when I was a kid with my my friends and stuff. Um, I've always enjoyed it. I, di- I didn't realize it was from '92, but that's that's definitely a good pick. I would say it's well animated. Uh, it's its heart is in the right place as far as the story goes. And of course, James Cameron went on to rip it off for Avatar, among other things. Fern Gully was a good way of doing an animated film with a message that didn't beat you above the you know about the head with the message. It's like okay, it's there. It's not the whole thing is the message. So it's because they end up a lot of times when there's a message in things, they tend to beat you so much with it that it starts to detract from the enjoyment of it. Whereas this, it's like, well, here's the message and here's an entertaining movie to boot. Well, then what about one of John Carpenter's biggest misfires, Memoirs of an Invisible Man? Okay, I hadn't seen this one for many years. I don't know why, whether I just avoided it, just kept missing it. I finally saw it. Wow, Chevy Chase is brutally miscast in this movie. This movie doesn't even feel like a John Carpenter film. It feels like his name was just slapped on it. The comedy doesn't work. The action doesn't work. The screenplay feels like it's the first draft they're shooting. It also feels like Chevy Chase, as he's known to do, was probably the one actually calling all the shots. Memoirs of an Invisible Man might be one of John Carpenter's worst films, not counting The Ward. I love the movie. The only Of course you do. My problem is, I agree, I think that, that Chevy Chase is the wrong person for the role. However, I think that under Carpenter's direction, I think it still ends up being a very good movie. It feels kind of noir-ish. It's just the effects are on point. Sam Neill is incredible. Like he, he overcompensates. It's not that he overcompensates, but he makes up for how much Chevy Chase really isn't the right person. I mean, Daryl Hannah's good. Everything in the movie is, is good except for Chevy Chase. Like he just, it really does feel out of place, but the movie, I think, ever shoots so well on every other level that I'm willing to kind of overlook that. 
And considering the fact that there are portions of the film where we can't even really see him, you're just hearing him. So it, it doesn't really feel quite as much because if you could see him, then you'd see how much he's kind of in his way through some of the lines. It's still I think it's it's still a very good movie. I like it. I think it's very underappreciated. And I think largely the reason why it's underappreciated is because people just can't deal with uh, Chevy Chase. I like it. I have not really seen it since I was a fair bit younger, but I remember enjoying it for what it was. Well, we have now leave everything we know about this from later, from the hit TV series, the spinoffs, the comics. We have the utter failure that was Buffy the Vampire Slayer. The movie bombed. Well, it didn't bomb, but it didn't make, uh, it wasn't a hit. And Joss Whedon tried to take his name off of it after the fact, which is something that he is known to do. I'm friends with people who did some of the special effects for Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the movie. He was totally into it while they were shooting it and oh, through editing. Was. It was only after critics didn't like it, then, they, they, this isn't the movie I wanted to make. This isn't oh, the movie. Jesus. No, I, I know he didn't direct it, but he, you know, produced it and he was heavily involved. So leaving aside what we know from down the line, the movie doesn't work. Buffy the Vampire Slayer is a Saturday Night Live sketch drug out to 90 minutes. This would have worked as like a nine-minute SNL sketch. It does not work as a 90-minute movie. Buffy's pretty terrible. The show is a lot better. Uh, I always thought the movie was really hokey and just dumb and fell flat in a lot of ways. Rudger Hauer was probably 10 years too late to play Dracula. We had, uh, instead of getting Blade Runner Rudger Hauer, we got uh, Booze Bloat 90s Rudger Hauer. I like it. It is completely subpar compared to the tv series paul rubens is terrific some of the jokes land really well uh i think christy swanson is going all in on the character the concept of it i think was very solid and what i would come to know is as joss whedon's earmarks of uh writing it had little things here and there that i thought uh didn't work quite as well but uh the end scene with the prom and all that i think is really good i think that overall it's it's entertaining. I think it could have been a lot better. And I also think that because of the TV series, we're seeing how much better was. You know, it's like, okay, well, well, the, the TV show is really, regardless, not saying what, what Joss Whedon was in or not, but the TV series ended up being vastly superior and really is like what it should have been. And I think if the movie was more in line with how the TV show was, it probably still wouldn't have been a hit because I think that it would have been too much ahead of its time. I don't think it's nearly as bad. As, as Josh is making it out to be. But then again, that's that's everything. I love Clive Barker. I never got into Candyman. I don't dislike the movie. I just never, Candyman never did anything for me. I've never seen the sequels. I've only seen the first one. Candyman just, it's just a movie that came out in 1992 for me, and that's it. Really? Candyman is awesome. Don't it's It's got some savage moments in it, like, you, you don't really expect to see a kid get castrated in a movie, even in a horror film. Like, there's some really just brutal moments in that film. Tony Todd is, is amazing. The movie has this great dark vibe to it. So many foreboding moments. Like, I consider Candyman a, a classic. It's a genre, genre classic. Yeah, I'm with, I'm with Peter. Like, uh, Tony Todd is just incredible in the film. And it just has this very foreboding, heavy feeling to it. It's, uh, it's a really good, different sort of slasher. 
the aesthetic of it of of being like uh in in the slums and the bees and everything it's just it's very well done it felt and, very real like when they're especially when the characters that live more kind of in the the city the nicer area are going into the slums and it's like you get just get this vibe that something bad is going to happen and won't even necessarily be candy man himself but they might just get jumped by somebody randomly yeah that was the thing it was like you could uh get killed by candy man or you could get killed by a junkie or you could get killed by just some crazy person and it, it just so it, it made it very much more dangerous yeah like like anybody that's walked through like a, a bad neighborhood in in the middle of the day or when it's getting dark like you you just get this sense that sense of danger like something might happen to you and it's very relatable the movie depicts it in a very real kind of way now the sequels did drop off time after time but the original still stands very very well on its own then there's bram stoker's dracula which i saw in the theater seven times do i need to explain how much i loved this movie despite (laughs) winona Ryder and keanu reeves accents did you hear what francis ford coppola said about keanu as they were shooting he kind of regretted casting him because he was like oh wow he really isn't really isn't a very good actor for a movie like this but he's so nice i can't get rid of him oh he was like i can't he's just such a good guy sounded a bit different to him and they were casting but then when they were actually doing the scenes and he was interacting with people he was like oh no oh no <laughs> and then you have and then there's Winona Ryder overacting to a degree where I'm surprised the sets were still standing take <laughs> me away from all this death <laughs> it's like okay pull it okay Winona Winona pull it back you're not this kind of an actress Winona she needs to she needed to dial it back about minus three and Keanu needed to dial it up by about plus three find like kind of a, a middle ground but then also you've got Gary Oldman and Anthony Hopkins you're never gonna act better than those two in a oh, movie exactly. together it's kind of it's, it's sort of an unfair challenge and they're both oh they're awesome like they're both Gary fantastic, Oldman's fantastic as, as Dracula um Anthony Hopkins is perfect as Van Helsing that movie I consider to have some of my favorite practical effects in any movie like the monsters in it the set design the lighting the music just on a technical scale it's as perfect a movie as like terminator 2 is did you ever see the effect of how they did the book with the train phenomenal crazy it's so good I would have never, I thought that was like a superimposed vision, but no, it was, they were at a book and they had a miniature train go. That it was forced just, perspective. It was forced perspective. It was incredible. Mm. It was so, so well cool. done. But yeah, they, they did some amazing stuff with that. That movie was one where directing, aesthetics, everything was firing on all cylinders. You had the two, you had, um, Anthony Hopkins and Gary Oldman just killing it. And Keanu, I think, was trying really hard and yeah, i love the guy kind of, you can't really blame him too much he was very very out of his element at this time like this is he was just coming off movies like like bill and ted and what else did he do at that time point break point, point break, break yeah and he did that one uh oh god what was it permanent permanent record the the suicide movie so mm. i think that him now could probably pull it off better but you know he could play uh he could play van helsing now play van Helsing. there you go you guys also got to remember one of the things that made this movie as much as everything else is good that score oh god yeah oh yeah 
just the opening scene with with uh, Dracula when he's more Vlad the Impaler, when he's just, well, impaling people and just the aesthetics of all the people on pikes and the music that's playing and him just like that armor. drenched in blood and that suit is just, ah, oh, it's amazing. No, I'm going to disagree with you. I'm going to say the chase scene when they're racing against the sun, the, mm. that beautiful orange dusk lighting with the, the just beautiful score from like Wolitech a- Alar, however you pronounce his name. I mm. can't even pronounce his name. It's just, it's so, like I said, I saw this in the theater seven times. Mm. Seeing that on the big screen, man, that now was fantastic. we just fantastic. need Cecil to be like, no, actually, it's this scene. And then we just be like, can't we just f***ing say the whole movie is, like, amazing? Yeah, the whole movie is amazing. I think the girl who played uh, Lucy, uh, Sadie Frost, I feel like she would have been a better for Winona Ryder's like if the two of them would have swapped I think mm. that might have worked a little bit better but she had the the hair that went better for the role of Lucy and so I don't know like I wonder if the casting of that if it was like okay I want Gary Oldman and Anthony Hopkins and they're like okay you can have that but you got to have Winona Ryder and Keanu Reeves it's like a- it's actually the other way around really? Winona Ryder is the one who got this movie made well she was um a pretty hot name at that moment she was a big ticket at the time yeah right? so it so she 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 was calling the shots you can in some of the behind the scenes on the dvds you can see some of the frustration between her and coppola well she may not be credited as a producer she essentially was for certain parts of the film absolutely she's on point i think she's very very good uh at the scene where she first meets dracula the uh at the the, the little like shop like the nickelodeon played, like she looks very much the part. There's she just overacts some, uh, a little a bit, but little I, I don't think she's as bad end. as uh, how Josh describes it. Like, I think Keanu Reeves is, was a lot worse in it than she was. And I think uh, Carrie always nailed it. I think Carrie always he was great as always as uh, Homewood. Yeah. He if anything, great... he might have actually been better in Keanu's role because he's he's just that guy's a great actor. Oh, like, dude, he's so underrated. He, he, he's he's cool. too old. He was too old for that. But then we old? also can't we also can't well, forget Tom Waits. We, we we can't also forget Tom Waits eating bugs. Oh, yeah, as Renfield and Monica Bellucci is one of the uh, as one of the brides. There you go. This next one I want to skip over because even though Peter wasn't on the show yet, Cecil and I have talked endlessly about Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth, which I think is one of the worst films I've ever seen. Recently rewatched it a few months ago. I actually think I hated it more on the rewatch than I did when we did the retrospective a few years ago. It's still the not movie's the worst incompetent. Hellraiser, Hellraiser franchise, it, though. It's, yeah, it's not one of the worst movies ever. It's one of the, like, worst. It's not even the worst in the Hellraiser series. Like, but it's so bad it pisses me off. Well, everything, everything pisses, pisses, you, pisses you off. And probably the most dated movie from not even just 1992, the, the 1990s, Lawnmower Man. I, I'm of two minds of Lawnmower Man. I enjoy it for what it is, but after seeing the director's cut, I totally understand why critics hated what was released in theaters. This is one of those movies that, it's like Terminator 2, loved it theatrically. And then I saw the director's cut and I said, I can never watch that theatrical cut again. Theatrical <laughs> cut is garbage compared to the director's cut. Lawnmower Man, theatrically, I understand why people hated it. Because that is a garbage cut. And I didn't like it the first time. And then I picked up the, at the time, the, the director's cut VHS. This is a totally f***ing different film. They had a 20-minute tw- opening that was removed. Exactly. But, but I mean, Cecil, so you understand what I, what I mean. These are two different films that are just the same film, aren't they? 
Yeah, and it it always bothers me. People don't, not everybody, but I'm saying people, plural, just in general. A lot of people don't understand the point when you when there's a director's cut because studios kind of water that down because they have a tendency of you know oh the unrated cut and people think that like that is the director's cut like certain movies the director had his vision and the studio wanted to cut out you know to, to get more uh more showings in the theater at the time uh, well if this is a two-hour movie and we cut it down to 90 minutes well we can show it x amount more times in the theater and this is a case of where they cut out the whole 20 minute opening they cut out other little chunks here and there and truncated the story to a degree where I still kind of liked it, but it felt empty. And then the, you see the director's cut and you're like, okay, this is the entire story that we should have gotten in the first place. So that always bothers me. And then you mention to people and they're like, oh, well, now I have to watch a movie I don't like. I have to watch a movie now. It's longer. And it's like, no, it's, it'll change your it's mind. It's a different film. It's a it's different version film. Of it. It's like, you know, it's like a uh, reindeer games. Exactly. Your review, like your review of Reindeer Games made me want to go back and watch the director's cut, and I was incredibly happy that I did. It's a way better movie. It is. Thank you. I appreciate that. I like wanted. Pe- I mean, a lot of people have said that with with that with uh, uh, well, Blair Witch Peter. Two, with they're mm. seeing the film as it was supposed to be. Exactly. I I agree with uh, everything you guys said. The director's cut is like a, it's a different movie, yet it's the same movie, but it's it's a better version of it. But we also can't we also can't dance around the fact that that movie has aged horror. Probably, though. It's kind of cute in the same way like uh, the the future gazing of Johnny Mnemonic was. Like, they were so off with the prediction, but it's still, like, aesthetically cool. But with this, it's like, if they tried to make this stuff look realistic, it probably would have aged worse. But because they went with like this bizarre candy coated over you know overly colorful versions of of games and stuff that they were doing and and Job at the end I think it it works it doesn't uh it doesn't bother me as much as some other movies talking about the future and they're showing like oh this is what you know what video games are going to be like and they're so bad and so dated this like it didn't bother me nearly as much and because Pierce Brosnan is doing such a good job and the whole idea of it is is great and Jeff uh, Fahey, Jeff Fahey is doing a phenomenal job of playing a mentally handicapped guy who becomes a genius. I think he does a really good job of going from one end of the spectrum all the way to the other, and you don't feel like it's getting a hokey. I don't know what to think of Pet Cemetery 2. I it's love a Pet t- Cemetery 2. I forgot I it think came it's out in a- 92. <laughs> It's a terrible Edward film. Edward Furlong's awesome in it. It's yeah. poorly. Edward Furlong is terrible no, in he this. Is. Oh, oh no, he's Clancy not. Brown. Clancy Brown is fine. Okay, Anthony Edwards and Edward Furlong both look like they don't want to be in this movie. Actually, Edward oh, Furlong, God, I will, I will bite you. <laughs> Edward Furlong <laughs> looks like he's awesome. confused. He doesn't. He looks like he doesn't even know what he's saying in most of these scenes. This movie That's how I is feel all now. Sometimes. Just I <laughs> don't know what you're saying sometimes. Watch Pet Cemetery 2. You'll have a great I don't time. like the first Pet Cemetery, but Pet Cemetery 2 almost seems like it's satirizing the first movie, it but it doesn't know how to do satire. No, it's just a sequel and they went kind of a different direction with it. A different as in retarded. Oh, f*** you. They just went nuts with the idea, and yeah. I liked it that they went nuts with it, because that's kind of how you should do a sequel. You're going to take uh, things and go a little bit crazy with it. Uh, don't just rehash the first movie. Nuts with it and had a lot of fun. And I think that uh, I think it was good. Clancy Brown was, was great as just a, a nut. 
Well, and then we, we talked about Sleepwalkers in our Stephen King retrospective, so I don't want to really spend any time on that. We all know our opinions on that. But we do need to talk about one of the biggest, what the f*** was that films of 1992? Free Jack. Oh, in God, Free Jack. Theory, in theory, Wait, this movie should have worked. Estevez, uh, he's a NASCAR player that gets transported into the future because Anthony Hopkins wants to steal his body. Yeah, more or something less, like yeah. that, and, the, and then and Mick, Mick Jagger Mick is Jagger an enforcer. Is yes, is I love Free Jack. Weird movie. It's uh, it's like a it's kind of cyberpunk ish. Um, the plot is really strange. Like, why would he be a, a car race driver? They just went with that for like his well, backstory. Because, I I like well, no, it though. I honestly I, think it's a really entertaining movie. What they what they did was they would take your body. Like yeah. there, there were cases of where somebody died and the body was just destroyed in the wreckage. And so they didn't want to change, you know, they couldn't change the past. So they would take the body and transport it into the future and give it to these rich people who were implanting their, their consciousness into it. Well, what happened was got brought into the future, but escaped before they had a chance to wipe his memory. And so he's trying to figure out why he's there. And he's, he really was supposed to be dead because he did, he originally died in the car crash. Well, yeah, and they, then they kind of stopped time or whatever to take him out of that moment, and the car blows up, so it looks like there's nothing left of him. And then they bring him into the future, and they're going to give him, you know, uh, put him into Anthony Ho- or put Anthony Hopkins' brain into him, and yes. he's still chasing after Rene Russo, who's still really hot you know, 10 years later or whatever. The world really kind like of 20 years later. Was it 20 years? I don't remember. I it's been like a while. Pretty, like far into the future. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a bad movie. Just leave it at that. Oh, oh shut, shut up. Guy's <laughs> <up. laughs> right, well, favorite movie is Flash Gordon. Shut your mouth. Well, then let's talk about some of the direct to video movies from 1992 because we've got we've got some really good stuff we got even though we didn't get it in america at the time we've got godzilla versus mothra the 1992 version obviously we've got scanners 3 which again cecil and i have had a long discussion about in our scanners retrospective which one is that is that scanner cop or is that the no no scanner cop is four Scanners okay. 3 is the one with the, with three? the evil, with the evil chick. Where she's able to scan uh, is, people is through, through television. Are they in like Thailand at some point in that one? Yes. Yes, okay. Alright, I've seen Scanners 3. Pretty forgettable. And then there's stuff like Full Moon Seed People, which is Charles Band saying, hey, I can do Invasion of the Body Snatchers on no budget. And then you go, actually, no, you can't, Charlie. Meatballs but 4. Then, uh, <laughs> I'm not talking to you anymore. Oh, shut up. I love Trancers, and I liked Trancers 2. I fucking love Trancers 3. Trancers 3 is the best of all of the sequels. I just, I think, I think Courtney Joyner did a great job on this one. I love Shark. I love Garrick from Deep Space Nine as the villain. Trancers 3 is freaking amazing. Trancers 3, like Puppet Master 3, is pretty much regarded as the best of the series. But I have a similar thing with, for me, like, Trancers 2 was my introduction to Trancers, therefore I love it. Trancers 3 is the better movie, but I just love Trancers 2. Same thing, Trancers, or Puppet Master 2, I love, even though Puppet Master 3 is the better movie. But yeah, Trancers 3 is is so amazing. Like, they really just nailed everything. Everything in that. It's so good. Oh, I agree. Treasures 3 is uh, awesome. It was uh, definitely because um, I had remembered seeing 2 and being a little bit underwhelmed by it. And then I feel like 3 hit the mark a little bit better. And then you have something like, I really enjoyed Waxwork. Waxwork 2 seems like all of the rejected ideas for the first film when they said, just whatever, put them into a movie. <laughs> Waxwork 2, it, I mean, 
it's a glorious train wreck, but it's a fucking train wreck of a film. I, you, I almost can't even describe Waxwork 2 Lost in Time. You kind of have to see this and go, what the fuck was that? I like Waxwork 2. I think it's... Uh, of course you do. It, it is kind of a mess of ideas. It's a fun mess of ideas. We talked about Bruce Campbell with Army of Darkness. We got Mind Warp this year. Yes. Mind Warp. Now, I like all three of the Fangoria films. Mind Warp is is easily the best of them, although I really do like Children of the Night and Severed Ties as well. Mind Warp's a weird one because it's trying to be both sci-fi and horror, and I don't think it nails the sci-fi part of that right because the ending comes across as sort of a cheat. I know it's set up earlier. The ending kind of pissed me off about this one. I felt I was cheated at the end of this one. No, I don't know. It, it like, it was kind of like, oh, but then it made sense within the, within the, the context of the film. It didn't bother me all that much, but it had all my favorite things. It had, you know, it's post-apocalyptic. You had Bruce Campbell. You had Angus Scrim. You had cannibalism. You had, uh, toxic mutants. It's such a neat little film. Um, and I've, I've loved it ever since I first saw it. Absolutely awesome film. Very fun. Perfect uh, as far as like describing what a genre film should be. Really good. I've always loved Bad Channels. It's it's not good in the traditional sense because the plot makes no sense. Bad Channels is so goddamn fun. Bad Channels is what a 90s full moon movie should feel like. I love Bad Channels. That one I haven't seen. I've I've seen the trailer and it looks really fun. So that's one that I'm still meaning to check out. But it looks really cool. Bad Channels may be my favorite full moon movie of all time. It's it's hilarious. It's fun. Everybody you can tell is enjoying themselves. All the music is cool and different in a very '90s way. Like these are very '90s bands. Uh, oh God, the music is so early '90s. Oh, it's so '90s, but it's so great. Uh, you know, Charlie Spradling is, is I'm wondering why though it always kind of bugged me when they did the spin-off they did Dollman vs Demonic Toy yeah, it was Dollman vs. Demonic, Demonic Toys. Toys where they and, and they changed the character they for some reason. They changed the character. They got, because Bunny didn't want to come back. I think Bunny quit acting after that. But, uh, so they brought in the nurse. And it was kind of odd to me that it was like they went with the nurse and didn't go with like Charlie Spradling or somebody who was it, like. It, it, it was, it was one of those things like the Howling 2 where they want that they, you had to have seen the previous movie, but they were also hoping you didn't remember the previous movie too. <laughs> right. But it, they made such a big deal about it, you know, being Bunny that still stayed small. And then, uh, you had, uh, ja uh, uh Tim Brick Bardo. I'm like, I'm like Jack Death. No, Tim Thomerson. No, Brick Bardo. You had Brick Bardo going in and he's like, Hey, I heard about this, this tiny woman. And, uh, it ends up being, you know, not Bunny and ended up being the, the nurse. And the nurse did a good job. But, uh, but now we're going completely off subject. Uh, but bad channels is just it's great they they defeat the aliens with disinfectant and uh martha quinn is even having a good time even though i know that she's kind of difficult to work with but she always gave off that cutesy persona but i know a lot of people that actually know her personally and she's not a nice person sadly it uh it's it's a fun movie i i adore it dearly I want to skip over Nemesis because I truly intend to do a Nemesis retrospective at some point because we've got a Cyborg net retrospective coming up in a few weeks and the Nemesis and Cyborg movies are connected and we'll get into all that down the line. But Nemesis came out this year. Great movie. Oliver Grunier. Now, we talked about 
all three of us were there for the Amityville retrospective. Do we need to talk about It's About Time, other than the fact that, that Cecil got to see What's-Her-Face touching herself? <laughs> but she didn't She didn't get Megan Ward. She didn't get naked, though. I think, I think she was naked, but it was an obvious body double. Like, it wasn't even the same skin color. Like, that was how bad it was. We also had in 1992. Now, I personally enjoy Basket Case 3. Frank Hettenlauter does not, and I'm not sure. I've never understood why he said he wishes he hadn't made that movie. I love the whole series. The movies just get weirder and weirder. Yeah, I I, I, I mean, okay, it's the weakest of the three official Basket Case movies, because, yes, Belial, you know, the brothers do show up in Frankenhooker and, and Bad Biology, so there are other movies in the Hettenlauter-verse. I I enjoyed Basket Case 3, honestly. It's very fun. Certainly better than uh, better than Hellraiser 3. Well, and then we got Demonic Toys, which we've also kind of talked about, which I think is, it's a weak movie. It comes across as a Puppet Master knockoff. Demonic Toys would stand on its own if the Puppet Master movies were not also a full moon movies. This feels like just, you know, it, this feels like the, the ninjas in Mortal Kombat. Just palette swap them and their new characters now. I don't <laughs> think that works, you know? It's fun. It's a fun movie. Now, I know Cecil loves this movie, but I could never get into Dr. Giggles. I did not like this movie at all. Oh, come on. Larry Drake is just owning it. He, he had, he was incredible. Like any other actor, I don't think could have pulled it off. Like that movie, I, I think would have been a complete abysmal failure if not for Larry Drake. And that's no, that's not bad mouthing the directors, the people that worked on the film, but there are some phenomenal uh, shots in the film. But really what makes it is Larry Drake. He is, he's incredible. He does such a great job on that. Oh, I, I love it bits. What about The Gate 2, the movie no one asked for a sequel of? Ah, uh, it's all right. It's fun. You had, uh, what's, uh, Pamela Adlon, uh, whatever her original, uh, I think, uh, was Adlon her first last name or was that her married last name? Who cares? Name? Anyway, Pam, <laughs> pa you know, she's really good in it. Fun way to retell the story, but do it in a different way. I, I don't mind The Gate 2 at all. It's okay. It's a passable sequel. Well, I want to talk a little bit about the movie nobody saw because the movie didn't even come out in 1992, even though it was supposed to. Didn't come out till later on video. Highway to Hell, the Christy Swanson, <laughs> Chad Lowe movie. This movie. Oh, that one's awesome. That's with yeah. uh, yeah. CJ Graham, the Jason Part 6 guy as the hell cop. And it also has Lita Ford as a prostitute in hell. Ben Stiller as a ben chef Stiller. in hell for... <laughs> Gilbert Gottfried plays Hitler for God's sake. <laughs> Highway to Hell is so fun, and it, it clearly had a huge budget. And I, I've I've heard differing stories. That's why I don't know what actually happened. Didn't come out. It had like two or three local screenings, and then sat on a shelf until it sort of escaped to video and and late night cable. Highway to Hell is a freaking fun as hell movie. No pun intended. I think probably the, the thing was people weren't really into Chad Lowe being the hero, if that makes sense. Like he, he's, the movie's great. I love it. The hell cop is awesome. He has handcuffs. They're actual hands. They're actual hands. They played so, they had so much fun with the whole hell cop thing. Maybe with a better lead, they might have been able to get it into theaters and it might have been a, um, at least a modest hit. Uh, but a movie like this always seems to me like it would have been genre fare that is just asking to be a cult hit. 
Like I could never see a movie like Highway to Hell being a blockbuster. It's, it's so far removed from what the mainstream would be into. Then there's House Four, which we dealt with in our House retrospective, the House, the second House movie that was not a House movie. <laughs> then, then there is Murderer John Landis's Innocent Blood, which I think is a better idea than a film. The whole thing, the mob and vampires and having a lighthearted sort of tone, all on paper works. Nothing in the movie works. I think the screenplay is garbage. The direction is lame. Nothing in Innocent Blood works for me. But on paper, it should. And that's what pisses me off about Innocent Blood. Okay, well, you're wrong. And I think the sooner you realize that, then the better. Maniac Cop 3, which, again, we did our Maniac Cop retrospective. Man, we've already talked about a lot of these movies, strangely enough, in past episodes. A bit of a Franken film. Robert Forrester's very good at it, but it's still a very, very enjoyable sequel. Then we have Full Moon's Netherworld. Oh, I remember this one. This was one of the first Full Moon movies where I was kind of, like, checking my watch, going, this movie's only 80 minutes. Why does this feel so goddamn long? Netherworld just was boring to me. Great idea, just flawed execution. Yeah, I like David Schmoller. This one just didn't work, man. His, his direction was just, I, I, I keep feeling like, like they forgot to edit the movie, you know? I want to revisit it. It's still only 80 minutes. I want to revisit it. I haven't seen it in a very long time, but yeah, I always remember it plodding along. Then there's Prom Night 4. I do want to do a Prom Night retrospective at some point because, man, the sequels to... Prom Night is just, it is what it is. The sequels go batshit off the rails, though. The Prom Night movies might be a fun retrospective. Oh, I love the Prom Night movies. That would, uh, I'd be more than up for doing that one. Those are some crazy films, for sure. Yeah, they just go nuts. Like, the first one is a pretty, I don't want to say The first one's just a slasher movie. The first one's a slasher. After that, they just go supernatural nuts. Has anyone but me seen Reanimator Academy? <laughs> what? Uh, no. Reanimator Academy, it's a movie. Reanimator Academy, no. Then there's Stepfather 3, which I did not like. I, I I liked Stepfather, didn't like any of the sequels. So Stepfather 3, and I think this is the first one where they, they had a different actor and they just decided, you know what, we're just going to say he got facial surgery because that <laughs> explains why he doesn't look like Terry O'Quinn anymore. And you roll your eyes going, if you're not going to take this seriously, why should I? Um, I have not seen Stepfather 3. I've only seen the original and the remake. I know the director. I should ask him what, uh, what happened. They just couldn't get the same actor. That's just what it was. Pretty, pretty the much. Actor, they couldn't afford Terry. Yeah, they couldn't get Terry O'Quinn anymore, but, uh, I'll, I'll have to, I'll see what he says. Now, I know Cecil's gonna have something to say about To Sleep with a Vampire because it's a Charlie Spradling film. Oh my god. It's, it's a Charlie Spradling nudathon. She plays a, a stripper who, uh, is, uh, more or less, accosted by a vampire it's actually a remake a lot of people of a movie from just the year earlier called dance of the dead right which uh, it's like wow they wasted no time whatsoever getting that remade i like both of them in different ways i'm not gonna say that it's a good movie but it's an interesting movie the concept is there it's kind of hard for me to believe i had a hard time i still do with uh scott valentine as the vampire because he will forever be the boyfriend from uh family ties he uh, was really weak yeah he just was not believable so that's the thing like i like the the other one, because the vampire in the, uh, Dance with the Dead was was more believable. But with this, I thought Charlie Spradling gave a much more grounded performance. Uh, and okay, uh, I, okay, now tell me if I'm wrong. Dance of the Dead felt like a horror film. 
to sleep with a vampire feels like a Skinamax version of a horror film, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. It really does. There's so many just sex scenes in it that really didn't need to be there. But I will say they they are visually pleasing. Like there's the one where they're on the light up stage and they're having sex and it just it looks really good and it's lit very well. But uh yeah, it feels like it was um one of those sci you know, uh Skinamax horror film, you know, titty movies. And, and strangely enough, for those who haven't seen Dance of the Dead or Dance of the Dead or To Sleep with a Vampire, we're not kidding that it's a remake of a film from the year earlier. Roger Corman made both and they used the exact same script. He wasn't happy with how Dance of the Dead turned out, so he literally just gave the script to another director to in this case Adam Friedman, gave it to him and said, Here, go make this again. It's just so people just so people don't think we're being, you know, snarky when we say it's a remake from a movie of the year earlier. It literally is. <laughs> and it's funny, a lot of people like you have some people that know about Dance of the Dead, you have some people that know about To Sleep with a Vampire, but there's a, not a lot of people that know both exist. Probably because they're they're very low on the the Cormanosphere. Like at the time, Corman movies weren't blowing up like they were in the 70s and 80s. They don't, you know, it's it's not piranha. Well, and then to to end out this year, we have the, at this point, relatively still good Witchcraft 4. Because if, if, if anyone has seen where the Witchcraft movies go, this is still a high-quality movie, even though Virgin Heart is really bad. Speaking, but speaking they're of gonna horror get, movie, por- you know, uh, softcores, it's where yeah. this, that's where they went. If somebody would pay for it and do it on Patreon, I would actually make us do a Witchcraft retrospective. All 16 movies. They're up to 16 now. Oh my god. They released three of them in 2018. They're just, they, they just, they have the, the license and they're just riding that out as much as they can. So, I mean, but somebody has to be watching them if they're still making them. Idiots like us. Idiots like us. That's true. I, w- yeah, I wonder if there's a bu- there if they have a box set of like all the movies. I, I don't think they can because they're. I think like the first Too six many. are owned by a different. Co- I think there's like three different companies that keep just transferring the name. So I, I think this is one of those ones where a box set never going to happen. And even then, besides the three idiots on this show, who would buy it? So to wrap up, 1992. What do you think of 1992 for genre films? Is this a strong year? year Really good. I I think we've got some very notable ones, particularly you got Army of Darkness, which is just one of the biggest genre cult films ever made. So I think 1992, very successful year for these kind of movies. We did not talk about Livewire, the uh, if you drink water, you explode movie, which come on. A movie is just tons of fun. Christian DeGay directed it as well. And uh, Pierce Brosnan, Ron Silver. It, it, you have an exploding clown in the film. And we did not talk about one of my all-time favorite comedies, Brain Donors, which was like a modern-day Marx Brothers film where you had... Oh, there's a, there's a reason I forgot about that movie, man. That movie was... I felt like I had donated my brain after watching that. That movie is so not funny. Oh. It was, it was pain, it was physically painful to watch how not funny Brain Donors was. Oh, you're an idiot. Dude, Brain Donors is hilarious. So yes, so I am bringing it up. Everybody, if you're into like Marx Brothers style humor and you want to see John Turturro do an incredible. If you want to see John Turturro completely debase himself. 
Oh, no. He's having a No, great that's time. what the Transformers movies are for. I felt bad. Like, oh, John Turturro, you're so much better than this. But yeah, Brain Donors is hilarious. No, it isn't. Oh, shush. So where can people find Mr. Shush, who doesn't know comedy, Cecil himself? I will never not, like, I recognize that my sense of humor is a little askew, but uh, I do think You that think I... Repossessed is funny. That's how wrong you are. There are lots of people who think Repossessed is funny. Repossessed is very funny. You can find me being very funny over at uh, goodbadflix.com, as well as goodbadflix on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, Facebook, and 1201beyond.com. Where can we find Peter all up there in Canada, which it's like Canadian summer this week, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, just uh, this week only. Um, and then we go back to just uh, finger-crushing blizzards. Uh, you can find me all bunkered up on Twitter at Cinematica, on Facebook The Cinemasochist, YouTube The Cinemasochist, on 1201beyond.com, with this show and many other fine programming on uh, Patreon, of course, uh, at Cinematica. Money, money, give me money. That's it. You can find me at 1201beyond.com. Contact this show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Guys, try to be a cut above. Keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold. Have a good night. Hi, kids. It's the Captain Happy Show starring me, Captain Happy. Let me get out my magic mirror. I see Bobby. I see Susie. I see Billy. <laughs>
Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.